Hello and welcome to Nikon Report, your weekly round of all the latest Nikon news and all other photographic announcements that we found interesting. It's Constantine here. And this is Becky. And another surprise from Nikon. This morning they've announced a 24mm f1.7 DX lens for Nikon Z mount. They have indeed. This is the small prime Nikon Z lens that we've been seeing on the roadmap for a little while now. And here it is, finally. It has come to fruition. Bing! There it is. Um, so let's go over the specs very quickly. Yeah, so it's 135 grams. It looks about the size of the 28mm f2.8 lens. Even with the hood, which kind of reminds me of the lens hood of 26mm lens, a bit. it looks fairly compact. So what we have here is a weather-sealed but plastic mount lens from what we can see. It has, for those of you who want to know, nine elements in eight groups with two aspherical elements. So they haven't skimped on the optics. It does have seven rounded diaphragm blades, which is fantastic. So nice and dreamy bokeh, we're hoping. That's true. And your favorite, it's only 18 centimeters close focusing distance, which is amazing. Macro photography must be fantastic on that one. That's right. So the idea behind this one is because it's a 36 millimeter full frame equivalent, you could use it for bit of street photography, bit of reportage, some portraits, maybe even some close-ups as well with that 18 centimeter close focusing distance. And being 24 millimeter lens, as you said, it's a rough equivalent of about 36 millimeter, or what we call 35 millimeter focal distance. So yeah, if you're a DX user, it's a good all-rounder where it's not too wide and it's not too close. So kind of a, a good focal distance for a lot of people and just for everyday use. I would say so. Now, for those videographers, the idea is that it is nice and quiet for video and it does have suppressed focus breathing as well. So you won't get any kind of image shift when you're focusing for video, which is very, very important in this day and age. Absolutely. Last week we talked about Nikon potentially introducing senior lenses and we thought that maybe it's a video lens that they talk about. And if you look at the lots of lenses they release, they always say suppressed focus breathing for video work. Indeed. Now the front filter thread is 46 millimeters. The little lens hood is included in it, which is nice. So you get a front cap, rear cap and a lens hood, but no pouch in this one. And because it's been announced today, we're expecting very quick delivery, sort of mid-June. Yeah, so here's the price of the lens. £289 in the UK. The official release date is 15th of June. Yes, and you can pre-order yours at Greys of Westminster. Okay, so who is this lens for, Con? All right, well, good question, because obviously, if you look at the Nikon lineup, they definitely love the kind of a 24, 28 millimeter focal distance and everything in between. So obviously we have 28 millimeter f2.8 came out first priced about 250 pounds. And that was the first one on the market. People love it, you know. So then 26 came out very recently. Obviously that one is higher spec. So double the price of 28, metal mount, a little bit smaller. And the image quality is a little bit better. And today we've got 24 millimeter 1.7, which is a DX lens designed for DX users, but you get 1.7 versus 2.8 on 28 millimeter, but priced about the same. Yeah. So. I don't know, Vex. I think if you are a DX user, you definitely will benefit from 1.7 aperture. Obviously, it's good for low-light photography. I assume astrophotography will be really good. And uh, if you need a shallow depth of field, that's going to be quite useful. At the price, £289, having f1.7 lens, I think it's pretty good. 
This is like a 35, 1.8 in full frame terms. You know, mm. that's the closest lens we've gotten to it. Now, saying that, has Nikon ever had a 1.7 aperture lens before? Because I don't think they have. No, they kind of ventured into the wetland territory, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, this is kind of cool. So I like that we're seeing different apertures on lenses as well. Maybe the next one we'll see will be like a, another... 2.5 lens. We haven't had a 105 2.5 for a good number of years. That's right. And we also saw 40 mil, which mm -hmm. was the first for Nikon as well. Yeah. So it seems like they're trying different things. Pushing the boat out a bit. Absolutely. And in recent interviews, uh, Nikon executive said that we are listening to the feedback. So it seems that 1.7 of aperture, who knows, 40 mm focal distance was one of them, those feedbacks. Yeah. Now, we're kind of curious to see what Nikon will do next, as we'll talk about in a minute. There were some rumors that it would be the 200 to 600 next. I do feel like this should be the next lens. Yes, you're right. But the thing is, this announcement kind of caught me by surprise because oh, yeah. we didn't expect next Nikon announcement for at least a month. Yeah. You know, And if you look at the rumors, yes, there were some rendering of 200 to 600, but there were just expectations. There was nothing concrete there. So we thought that 24 is going to show up at some point because obviously it is on the roadmap, it's grayed out, etc. You know, But I didn't expect it to come out so soon. And them having a small break and kind of riding this way of the positivity on that eighth announcement, mm -hmm. release another lens. I think it's pretty good because if we would have an announcement two months later and it's a 24 millimeter 1.7 and not the 200 to 600 lens, I assume that the feedback or overall, let's say, response of people on the internet would be a lot more negative than it is now. I agree with you. So timing wise, we're really happy with what Nikon have chosen to do here and just announcing it so quickly after the, or in the aftermath of the Z8. I think that's fantastic. Now, the interesting thing, obviously, Nikon had a 35 f1.8 G F-mount DX lens, which was equivalent of 50 mil. Mm -hmm. We actually never had a kind of a budget 35 DX mil lens, you know, so it was something like 24 that would give a 35 millimeter equivalent on Nikon DX body. Yeah. Now, what do you think? Are we going to see the 50 mil budget equivalent we obviously have 40 mil which on dx crop gives you 60 mil and i think it's a little bit too tight mm -hmm. for a lot of people so it becomes more of a kind of a portrait lens instead of a standard lens yes do you think nikon will release something like 35 1.8 dx lens in the future or not obviously it's not a roadmap as we speak i think i would be interested to see nikon do something and this is this is just bear with me here Right. There's a long chain of thought. There is a chain of Buckle thought. Buckle up. If they are going to put themselves into a kind of competitive space with some of the other APS-C brands, mm -hmm. then I think, first of all, they ought to have an update to the Z50, and we ought to have an APS-C camera that has image stabilization on the sensor. I think that, and this is just my personal opinion, I think that we should have an even wider lens prime like an 18 or a 17 mil if they're going at odd focal lengths i think that would come first and then i would like to see a 35 1.8 but i think that i think that they need to focus on the bodies now i agree on the dx line so that's that's my pitch <laughs> that's what i think i agree with you and i would love to see the 35 1.8 but i think that that will be much later down the line i think cameras needs to come next on in the dx nikon space that's true you mentioned the 18 millimeter f2 and it's one of the first lens i bought for x pro one back in the day yeah. because i'm a big connoisseur of the 28 millimeter focal distance yeah. so for me definitely i would want to have something like this from nikon now the interesting bit of news that I read on Tom Hogan's website where he said that the vibration reduction unit on Z8 has been completely redesigned to fit a smaller space. Ooh. 
obviously it's a long take and it's a long shot, but I wonder that those developments and advances in Z8 vibration reduction, obviously we had a vibration reduction on units like Z6, Z7, and Z5, but I wonder if we are closer to having vibration reduction on the smaller bodies. Because of that, they're kind of paving the way for it. Exactly. Interesting. On the smaller DX bodies. Yeah. So in terms of this, who knows? You're right, I agree. We need to have DX bodies right now. Maybe let's get the Z90 going, you know, maybe let's have an entry-level cheap camera with an LCD built in, you know, but from one point of view, yes, yes you're right. If you want to compete in the DX range, you definitely need to release a lot more bodies, get them more up to speed and make them competitively priced. There you have it. Now let's move on to the other lenses that are rumored to be announced and discuss what do you think Nikon should release next? I would be interested to know what you think we might see next and when we might see it, because that's what everyone's question is going to be. Apart from those DX users who will be very, very happy to see this lens, the vast majority of full-frame users will be going, okay, where's my lens now? So what are you using? What's your feeling? Okay, well, let's have a look at the lenses that we have available, like that's that grayed out and kind of expected for this year. Yeah, so we have 24 mil, obviously, which was announced in 26, was announced this year. 85 was announced this year. 1228 was announced this year as well. So we have 35 f1.2 being rumored that will join 50 and 85 1.2 with the ultimate primes. Exciting. We have 70 to 180, which is basically available for other mounts. So we know it's going to come at some point. There's no design that needs to be done to introduce this lens. It's just a matter of when. I want it. And then we have 200 to 600. So I assume from all the lenses we've got released, I think 200 to 600 is kind of the next step. And I think it's good to release around summertime. So I, you know, I personally think if I would have to give it like a period when it's going to be announced, mm. I would say anywhere between, let's say, June and September, okay. whichever they prefer, because I don't like I don't expect it to be announced in June, maybe July. But ideally, if you can get that summertime where a lot of people travel and do wildlife photography, that would be a really nice thing to do. And then release something like 70 to 180. Well, 70 to 180 is also kind of this type of lens, you mm -hmm. know. But then, yeah, like something like a 135 or 35 millimeter lens could come out a bit later because you don't really need like a summertime to learn this year specifically, you know, if you no. see what I mean, you know, obviously you can shoot wildlife in winter, that's all that, but I assume Nikon just looking at people who travel a lot, etc. you would want to get those kind of action wildlife type lenses out as soon as you can. Yes. What are your thoughts? I don't disagree with you. I think that there's a really wide window in which we could see the 200 to 600. I also think the 70 to 180 could could be a bit like this one, could just come out of the blue and just surprise, here's your 70 to 180 f2.8 non S-line lens. That's what I'm hoping for. I am looking forward to the 135, but I'm with you that it doesn't need to be a summer announcement. I think that both the 35 1.2 and the 135 f2, let's mm -hmm, say, mm -hmm. could come out towards the winter time or even moving into the beginning of next year now because we've just seen the 85 1.2 and I don't know if Nikon are going to want to bring out all those big, very expensive, wide aperture primes all together. That's true. Once they release 70 to 180 mm. and 200 to 600, do you think the wide angle range or long telephoto range is effectively covered or do you think we need some other lenses to fill certain gaps? I don't think we need more lenses at this point. I think once the 200 to 600 is out, then we've basically got all the F-mount equivalents that people tend to go for covered. And I'm speaking from experience here of people saying, I have these F-mount lenses and I would like to change to the Z system 
what are my options? And the 200 to 500 comes up so much in those queries of what is the Z equivalent of the 200 to 500. And obviously we have the 100 to 400, which is a spectacular lens. But if you've already got a 70 to 200 2.8, you don't need to spend another two and a half grand when you've got quite a lot of overlap mm. there. Also, if they were readily available, a teleconverter will will stop that gap for you. That's true. I only have one lens that I feel like we can have mm. to fulfill that particular long range. This is basically a, a lightweight 600 millimeter lens. So something like 600 at oh. 4.5 or 5.6. Because obviously we have a 604, which is big. Well, lighter than all of them, but still heavy, but also very expensive. Yeah. And it seems like since we have a 400 lightweight, an 800 lightweight, that 600 lightweight would just fill that particular gap. Yeah and would allow people on a certain budget who don't want to spend tens of thousands of pounds for bigger lenses get something like this. What do you think? Yeah, do you think they would do it as a 600 or a 500? Well, since they released 400, 600 and 800, yeah. I think it just makes sense to release 600 because we got 400 lightweight 4 and I think that's what 500, 5.6 PF became 404.5 in a way. Yeah. So I think if you release another 500, they're just too close to each other, and 600 will give you this a little bit of extra length to capture those monsters, and then you can pick and choose what you want. I'm with you. See, I, I looked at the 400 4.5 as kind of like the replacement for the 300 mm. face resonal lens. Interesting take. With a teleconverter, because Nikon's research indicated that lots of people were buying the 300 PF and mm -hmm. then buying the converter, the 1.4, to put on it. So they went... Let's go 400. And I can see the logic behind having a 400 and a 500 for those few people that want a 500. But I see what you're saying and I don't disagree with you. So it's interesting you said 300 because obviously 300 PF is a lot smaller. Yeah. Even 404.5, while it's kind of a lightweight lens, it's still fairly chunky yeah. in terms of its physical size. Hmm. So I feel like 300 still can have a place. So yeah. maybe two lenses then, in my opinion, 600 lightweight as well as 300. Okay. Interesting. Now, the rumors about 200 to 600 are starting to heat up. And mm. actually, Nikon rumors already have a rendering of the lens. Obviously, it's not a real lens. Someone made a good Photoshop AI job, you name it, you know. So, but this is what they kind of expect the lens to be. So they think that it may be 200 to 600. It's also maybe a 180 to 600 lens. So that can change. And obviously, we've had 24 to 105 lens, which later changed to 24 to 120. Mm -hmm. So it is possible. They also think that 200 to 600 may have a variable aperture and not a fixed f6.3 lens, which was rumored before, okay. or 5.6. So does it make sense to you? Sure. I, I think it will all come down to the size and the price. The idea that it's going to be a 180 to 600 is quite interesting, it, which also throws it into the Sigma 150 to 600 area, which is a variable aperture lens. So I could kind of see that potentially happening. The Sigma 150 to 600 is a heavy lens, but it's not as heavy as the 200 to 500. So if they went that way with it, I, I think I would still be quite happy with it. It's also interesting to me because, yeah, if you think about 70 to 180, which will be 2.8, yeah. would be a budget option compared to 700 S 2.8 lens, then yes, 180 to 600 being a budget lens for wildlife photography would fit that kind of narrative. Yeah. Now, obviously, the 2.8 Nikon AK Tamron release is all 2.8 and fixed apertures. Mm -hmm. So that particular lens may have a wearable aperture. I still think that they may have a fixed aperture, mm -hmm. but since it's not based actually on the Tamron designs or anything like this, so yeah, there's a high chance that it may have a variable aperture. 
There you go. And Nick on rumours seem to think that the announcement will be come sort of June, July time, which fits sort of with what we're thinking, although we think they might push it back a bit later. But I would love it if it was ready for the summer. That's true. I mean, since we had an announcement just now, unless they're going to do it every two weeks, then it makes sense for them to make an announcement or something like from 1st of July onwards. Yeah. So tell us what you think. What is the next Nick and Lens will be announced? What do you think about 200-600? Do you think it's going to be fixed aperture or variable aperture lens? Are you buying one depending on the price? Do let us know in the comments below. Moving on, let's talk about Z8 coverage. So Nikon Z8 was released on Thursday 25th last week. Mm -hmm. It's been shipped all over the world. People getting their hands on, reporting on the performance of the camera and sharing their impressions online. Yes. Now, as per our last report, the first batch sold out worldwide. We weren't terribly surprised about that considering the level of pre-order but it looks like supplies are going to be quite good so although Nikon Japan sent out a statement to say that because of the large demand they're not going to be able to fulfill all the pre-orders from what we're seeing elsewhere the the pre-order list is being steadily worked through so you should receive a phone call or an email from your favorite dealer very very soon if you did pre-order one obviously if you're still on the fence about the z8 and you haven't put in a pre-order you might have a slightly longer wait obviously there are people who dove in on day one the minute the clock struck one o'clock they put in their pre-order, they paid their deposit and they were ready and raring for the first batch. And we've seen that there are a lot of people who maybe didn't make their minds up for the first couple of days, so they will have to wait a bit longer. However, I'm very, very optimistic about the supply. I don't think we're going to have the same situation as the Z9. I think that we'll start to see stocks much sooner. Absolutely. Well, the rumors show that the next shipment in the United States is basically scheduled for the first couple of weeks of June. It seems like people getting the emails already with indication of the next deliveries. Amazon USA was listing the camera to be available on June 29th. Some of the dealers in the United States also put some random delivery dates like November, October 2023. But I think it's those are just random dates not to promise anything to come in earlier. And obviously that will change. Now, do we have any updates in the UK? What's the supply like? We are also expecting a second shipment to arrive imminently. And after that, we are hoping for more supplies before the end of June. That's looking very, very likely at this stage. At the moment, although I cannot give any definites because I don't work for Nikon, I think we're going to quite realistically see a delivery every fortnight in various shapes and sizes. So if you are waiting on your delivery, just hang tight. Absolutely. And if you haven't pre-ordered one, then definitely give Grace always means they call because since Becky indicated that the wait is actually not going to be very long, that means that we're going to go through the back orders, hopefully, hopefully, fingers crossed, very, very soon. Now, for some naughty people. Naughty, naughty people. Yeah, apparently those people, they call scalpers who buy things on release and then resell them at skyrocketing prices on places like eBay. So apparently those guys are having a field day on eBay and listing that date for something like $6,500, $7,500. Do not buy from them. Let them sit with stock. Yes. And sell at a loss. We do not condone or support that practice. Honestly, it, it sickens me. <laughs> uh, 
Okay. No, we're not going to include that. No, we're not. Now, you know who else was really naughty? Who else is naughty? Nikon USA Direct. Apparently, they canceled a bunch of Nikon ZA pre-orders for people who pre-ordered on day one at one o'clock in the time of the announcements. Lots of reports online. Go on Nikon Rooms article to see all that. Lots of tweets, etc., etc. People freaking out. Exactly. And apparently, it's an issue with ordering system mm. that they had. So they, if the card was declined for any reasons, and it's a large amount, if you never order from the company, sometimes you see something like four thousand dollar transaction coming through. Yeah, your the bank, bank freaks out exactly. too. Exactly. They say, "Well, let me freeze it and let the owner of the card call me to say it's a real purchase." Yeah. But basically. If the transaction didn't go through, then Nikon would just cancel the order. Yes. Th that's all they would do. They wouldn't wait. They wouldn't call the people and say, you know, can't you just try again, et cetera, et cetera. No, it's just automatically cancel the order. And obviously people are upset because now they either have to reorder with Nikon and go on back of the queue or have to order with the dealers and go on the back of the queue and wait longer. And especially for people who pre-ordered on the first minutes of the announcement. Yeah. It's very annoying. So... It's kind of the question that came up when I was reading this. And I started to think about the retailer experience mm -hmm. and buying directly from the source. And obviously, we are a photographic dealer. So I don't want to say we are better or not. But there's clearly a certain issues or certain improvements that a company should make if they want to sell directly to the consumer. Indeed. And obviously, this looks like a glitch. I have had experience of ordering directly from the Nikon store and waiting a long time for a pre-order. And this is the European store. Mm -hmm. And in the time that I was waiting for a pre-order, the card that I used was cancelled by the bank issuer and I had a new card issued. Mm -hmm. And in Nikon Europe's dealer store, they contacted me and said, your card didn't go through please update your payment details and all was well. I didn't have to go to the back of the queue of anything, which was fantastic. However, if this is a common issue for Nikon USA, yes, they should make improvements so that it doesn't happen. Because when it's something as in high demand as a ZA or a new pre-release item, that is going to upset people quite greatly. I do also think, you know, there is, it's difficult. I think it's very difficult for retailers to compete with online platforms, generally speaking. I cannot compare retailers to places like Amazon. Obviously, if you have a pre-order on something from a company like Amazon, they have five or six sometimes payment methods saved. So they'll just default to whatever the next card mm. is, right? Which is the beauty of them holding all your information. Should cancel all my cards. <laughs> it's scary, but it has happened. However, I don't see how retailers can compare with that. What you get when you buy from a retailer is a personal experience, yeah. much more personal experience than if you just put your order through with an online giant or with, for example, Nikon Direct. You don't speak to a real life human being. If something goes wrong with your order, you don't necessarily have a person that you can then refer to to say, hey, I had a problem with my order. Usually these things are still ironed out by the folks that run the stores, but it's definitely a different experience. And uh, I hope that if any of you have ordered from Nikon USA Direct and you've been a victim of this issue, that it has been sorted for you as soon as possible. Because obviously it would be very disappointing otherwise. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, um, as you said, user experience is a big thing. And I think companies trying to get their retail store, like their stores, online stores set up. Mm. And obviously you think you go directly to the source, you buy the camera, et cetera, but because they don't have the experience of running that particular online retail space, mm -hmm. there's a lot of teething issues that you have to go through and improve. And obviously you can USA, as you said, it's different branches, they have different stores set up. It's not like one store runs the Nikon Direct Japan, Nikon Direct USA, Nikon Direct Europe, et cetera, you know, obviously, 
each branch maybe do better or worse, and they will improve in time. But I think at this moment, there's definitely a lot of improvement to do. And you're right, hopefully for some of you who got caught by that issue, hopefully Nick and USA will sort this out for you and hopefully you won't lose your spot in the queue. So now moving on to some other Z8 news, Nikon have updated the Z8 product page with all the reference manuals and the software updates needed. So if you already own your camera, you can go and check that out there. We've got user's manual reference guide, available roles for custom controls, which is something that we've been asked about directly quite a lot. Like what options are the custom controls given for, for that's true can i set this up can i set this up yeah. function buttons i menus what can i do so you know a lot of people confuse also shooting banks and custom session banks with you one you two settings so hopefully those particular leaflet will clear up those issues but also you can release software updates as well so the biggest one was for nx studio version 1.4 and they've added the whole hlg support which is high-low gamma support for Nikon Z8. So because standard dynamic range has a different color space from HLG, mm -hmm. so a lot of softwares that are not up-to-date mm -hmm. have issues with it. So let's say Lightroom, for yeah. example. So it seems that the NX Studio, the native Nikon software for editing raw files, have much better support of those files. So if you want to shoot in high-low gamma, then definitely try to install that software. But they also added skin softening, portrait impression balance, portrait enhancements, and a bunch of other adjustments as well. All right, we also had a, an extended software in Camera Control Pro 2 software with added support of Z8, but also some compatibility updates for macOS Ventura version 13, as well as any support for Catalina version 10.15. There you go. We also had an update for the wireless transmitter utility and picture control utility, which both added support for the Z8. And Nikon Digitutor published three educational videos on their YouTube channel. The first video talks about names and functions and other camera parts. The second one highlights highlight natural contrast. <laughs> and the third one talks about dual USB ports and the use of them in the wilderness. But also, if that is not enough for you, Nikon finally published the supported list of memory cards for Nikon Z8, including CF Express, SD cards, as well as XQD cards. Now, what's interesting thing to me is the Delkin cards are not in that list, but what I can tell you from personal experience, we use Delkin Black series of cards, and there's no issues whatsoever of these cards working with Nikon Z8, including and low grow video recording at 8K 60 frames per second, which is basically the, the largest amount of data you can record onto the memory card. Indeed. Now, next up, Rishi released a video on the Z8 and Z9. His video is called The 10 Settings I Always Change and could be very useful for you if you've just unwrapped a shiny new Z8 or a Z9. So if you've just picked one up and you want to know what settings Rishi always changes straight out of the box, then go and check out his video. Now, I want to ask you, what settings do you change yourself when you get a brand spanking new Nikon camera? I automatically change the autofocus function, so AF on, disable autofocus on the shutter button. I turn off the horrendous rotate tool thing in the playback. Oh, yes, please. Which yeah. I hate. Absolutely. 100%. Absolutely. Yes, ma'am. And then, obviously, the cameras usually straight out of the box are set to JPEG. Don't know why set to single server focus or like full auto so i usually put it on afc and then just leave it um i think that's about it really that's true after that i can't use becky's camera because i don't know what's going on there <laughs> um one thing i do change on cameras like nikon z8 and z9 with a built-in sensor protector by default is switched off 
I do turn it on, it's in the setup menu, and it's one of the things, obviously, it activates it when the camera is switched off, so when you change the lenses, your sensor is not exposed. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I actually don't know why it's not enabled by default. It's an interesting thing, so Richie might know, maybe one day when we'll catch him in the wild, then we'll ask him this question. He might tell us. Now for some interviews about the camera. This is an interview with Keiji Oishi, which is Nikon's manager of user experience planning, and it is entitled, We had a lot of options, but customers wanted a baby Z9. So many cards to make a hand. So basically they were asked, why did you decide that that day is going to be mini Z9? And according to them, they said, well, because people wanted it. They said, I want a Z9 in a smaller body. And that's exactly what they delivered. Now, they also asked why the SD card? And they said the Z8 will be used by high-end amateurs. So it is important to use a widely available memory card. Now, I don't disagree with that because not everyone wants to spend the big bucks on CF Express cards. Yes. However, if you've already spent the big bucks on the camera, it does make sense to put decent memory in there. That's true. That's true. But I, I you know, I know people I know who people. buy expensive things and put the cheapest accessories on it. So I do know, you know, being one of them. No, <laughs> it's not. It's not helping. But. I, I do know that happens. And actually, yeah, they, they are marketing this camera, not just to professional. Yes. They call them amateurs. Yeah. We call them keen enthusiasts. But it seems like, yeah, that's the reason for that. I also think it's the cost. Tom Hogan goes into this whole discussion that why they didn't include, let's say, dual CF type A cards. Horrendous. Yeah, I think Nikon never used them, first of all. So second of all, type B cards are a lot faster as well. For so, sure. And if you look at cameras like G500 and G850s, they all had SD cards as well as XVD, CF Express cards, slots. So I think that's the reason for that. But it's interesting to take that they say, yeah, we expecting people that are not professionals using the camera, so the SD card slot is important. Mm -hmm. It's very interesting to take on it. So they also talked about D3500, which was an entry-level DSLR, and they ask, well, is the technology so expensive now that we can't get mirrorless camera to hit the same price target? And what they answered is, well, we are evaluating all the options, so maybe in the future it's going to happen without giving anything away. Okay. They also asked if there was an end to DSLRs in sight, and Nikon did confirm that there is no end date as of now. So DSLR users, do not fear, do not fret. Absolutely. I mean, they say we're always evaluating the sales, and we all know the sales are down, unfortunately, but it seems like they won't tell us until it's finished. But from the previous reports, we said at least 2025, they're going to continue support of DSLRs. What's going to happen after, we don't know, but it's still two good years to go. Exactly. Which is really good. Now, talking about the other interviews, there was also an interview given to armchair photographer. And they talk more about social media, content creators, and funds who are driving Nick and Brett. You. <laughs> you, people. That was an interesting question about social media. They asked, do you think the social media is the main destination for most of the content that Nikon customers are creating, even from full-frame mirrorless cameras? They answered yes. Mm. As simple as that, skipping the, all the marketing talk, that's a yes. The second question was, do you think the demographic of Nikon bias has changed? Right. And they said yes as well. And that's why we see in the marketing towards young people, as well as creators called nowadays. They talk about video functionality and all those features that come into those cameras, mm -hmm. which may upset some people who just want to take photographs. And people say this camera also takes stills as well as video. Yeah. But it seems that the overall shift and strategy is to get the camera into the young hands and get them 
hooked into the Nikon system because the first one in this case is $4,000, not free, but then hopefully you'll invest in lenses and cameras in the future. Right. So amateur photographer asked this question. They said, Nikon said that it is increasingly fan-centric and is engaging with the new wave of creators. What do you mean by fan-centric? And I thought this was an odd choice of words as well. And Nikon said that they believe fans are the foundation of the imaging business because fan support increases sales and fans make new fans because they promote our brand to others. So they went on to say in order to achieve this, you know, focusing on their fans and younger photographers, I'm like, they're not Harry Styles. Do they have... <laughs> that Maybe was, they are Harry Styles, you know. Taylor Swift and Harry Maybe Styles. Maybe they're Zendaya. <laughs> um, but it's really cool. <laughs> we haven't had a Zendaya reference for a while, actually, so that's good. My mission is to put Zendaya <laughs> reference in pretty much every podcast. Anything possible. Uh, so in order to achieve this, we've been creating new touch points for both online and offline with opportunities such as creator events, photo walks, and user-generated content channels to connect with young creators as we've been engaging with young influencers in our marketing activities. These are not just gadget reviewers, but rather more fashion, lifestyle, and travel-oriented channels so that's a shift in our marketing. So yeah. what, what do you take from that? Well, I think Nikon is trying to be, become a lifestyle brand. I think the whole market of the seasoned photographers is kind of, is there for Nikon. Obviously, there's a lot of kind of loyal supporters of Nikon brand. And if you use Nikon for a while, you probably, you know, will buy the latest what Nikon offers. But I think what they're trying to do is to say, like, it's, yeah, become more of a lifestyle brand, bring into fashion, bring into creative industries. Now, what I don't like from Nikon is using the word creatives because it's now became... It became synonymous with influencers? Yeah, it's kind of became synonymous with, with influencers. And I don't think it's the right use of the word because creatives could use camera for all sorts of things. So creating, it's a, it's a, it's a mixed media side of things. You know, it could be a video, it could be um, stills photography, it could be combined, it could be even AI generation as well, 3D modeling thrown in. Mm. into the creation of final piece. And in terms of this, getting into the camera to these particular industries to become a tool to produce that, it's really good. So it's not becoming your wildlife and sports camera yeah, if you, or landscape camera. It becomes a camera that where you're young and hip and rebel, you want to do something different. Yeah, And that's why it's important to get those cameras in those hands. As I say, it brings the loyalty along the way over the years. So maybe Z8 is the first camera that they got their hands on, which is really nice at this price, mm -hmm. you know, but you get there and then maybe they'll form a loyalty, like a lot of us. Yes, know. I think the key to that, um, and this is the last thing I will say on this piece before everybody decides to uh, go and find another podcast to listen to, but <laughs> the final piece I will say on that is I do think that Nikon need to make themselves more present in schools. Yes, yes, we talked about it for years. For years and years, and um, I haven't seen it yet, but if, if their shift really is on younger photographers and the younger generation of photographers, it is so important to put cameras in the hands of young people because they will continue to stay loyal to a brand that they know. The vast majority of my, say, younger friends and my kids' school friends, they have used Sony equipment, so that's where they've kind of leaned towards, or Canon, but I think that's where we need to go. Yeah. So what they need to do, Nikon needs to release a console, first of all, so to compete with PlayStation, yeah. and that will bring the brand recognition to Nikon cameras. Now, Joe's side, one thing I want to say is bring back student discount. Agreed. Now, you look at software companies like Adobe, 
they give a heavily discounted all free licenses to students. Yeah. A lot of architecture software companies do exactly the same. Apple product. Exactly. And you can use to have a student discount as well. Yeah. And I think it's necessary to bring back this program because the more young people get their hands on, the more potential future sales you will create. And future Nikon photographers. Oh, Nike. <laughs> now, we also had some reviews of mm. the newly released camera. So F Stoppers published an article which called A Beast for Serious Photographers. We reviewed Nikon Z8. And one thing you had to say is, I did not want to give it back. And I think this is a good statement for how good the camera is. Now, what I also kind of noticed and put in the things we're going to discuss is the cons, not the positive, but actually cons of the camera. And to show how different we are as people, because when I read this, Mm. I say that's not an issue. Yeah. But I want you to read it and let's talk about it a little bit. Okay. So the things that he didn't like, he said, I do not consider myself to be a noise slash grain hater, but once you reach five digit ISO levels, the grain can result in a noticeable loss of detail. This is to be expected at such a resolution. So it really is not much of a complaint, but it would be wrong to say that the image was clear as day. Something to consider before you make the purchase. However, the image quality was still top shelf. So it's not really a complaint, but I'll complain anyway. Well, so, I was going to complain about something. Yeah, and then it's, we're talking five digit ISO, so 10,000 plus. Yeah. So again, we're all different people, and that's why I'm saying we're all different. But for me, 6,400 ISO was basically the top I would go. Yeah. You know, and freely throwing like 12,000 ISO, 25,000 ISO into the mix, in most cases, while the camera performs really good, it is expected to camera not to perform well. So again, for me, it's not really a negative for the camera, if you see what I mean. Right, it's it's not a D6. Yeah. Okay, he also said, I really wish I could have mapped one of the lenses on the function buttons to be able to enable, disable subject detection on the fly. A toggle like that would have helped tremendously when I didn't want the camera to recognize face because sometimes it was a little too good at it and focused on the faces I did not want to. Um, I have experienced that with the Z8 and the Z9 sometimes depending on your scenario, you don't want it to focus on the faces at all. It depends on what you're doing, really. And an interesting option that I think could potentially be added in firmware if it was that much called for. But again, you can very quickly change the face in yeah. when you're shooting. So if it's a face that you don't want, you can just flick that out, you flick the button and it will switch face. Yeah, because you normally have a yellow box, that's where the, the box that uh, is tracking this particular subject, and then you've got white boxes, so other faces that you can switch to. So you can do that. But I assume that having the function button set to, let's say, switch from face recognition to, let's say, vehicle detection mm. would be quite an interesting thing. And uh, obviously, I think that, yeah, it's one of the things that Nikon may want to consider in the future firmware update. Now, one thing he didn't like is actually a shorter sound, and he had it disabled straight away. He said, sure, you can change the volume or even the pitch, but I just could not tolerate it for some reason. Yeah, if you go from a, a mechanical shutter sound, even the very soft mechanical shutter of the Z6 or Z7 to the Z8 and the Z9, it is weirdly distracting. I have to agree. So we can all talk about the beauty of shutter sounds from cameras, and you can actually see watch hours of videos of different shutter sounds on YouTube. If that is what gets you yeah. excited. But if it's if it floats your boat and if it's a deal breaker for you, well, c'est la vie, I guess. Just turn it off. Exactly. I think for 99.9% .9 of people, they can live with the, with the shot sound even if they don't like it. That's right. Now, we also had a review from Digital Camera World Review. Now, they said 
The Nikon Z8 is, for all intents and purposes, a Z9 crammed into a smaller body, using the same stacked CMOS sensor with a blisteringly fast readout that makes a mechanical shutter completely redundant. A little chunkier than the Z6, Z7 line, it has more direct access buttons than these cameras, which make it a genuine pleasure to use. It borrows much of its form factor and handling characteristics from the D850, widely considered to be the best all-round DSLR ever made, and has a fair shout at staking its claim to be the best all-round full-frame mirrorless the world has ever seen. All right, so now let's talk about pros and cons for the camera. Yes. So, first pros is incredible spec sheet, largely identical to Z9, a whopping 1,300 pounds or dollars less than flagship Z9. Mm. And then in the cons, he says, still a fairly hefty investment at 4,000 pounds, like some of Z9 esoteric features. So, do you see how pros kind of cancel the cons in a way because he talks about a warping saving and all the technology of Z9 and still says it's too expensive while Z9 is being priced at $5,500 instead of $4,000. Yeah, I know. It's silly. A little bit. A little bit. That, that's why kind of I have a little bit of gripe on that because, yeah, it's, it's like we're trying to kind of make a list of things and we need to put three pros, three cons in there. But if they contradict each other, literally... Yeah. Um, so but, the great thing yeah. is the price, but the negative is the price. Yes, that's the basically it. great yeah. thing is it basically has everything the Z9 has, but it doesn't have everything the yeah. Z9 has. I understand what you're saying, yeah. but it's always good to have both opinions. So let's move on to another review. This is the Nikon Z8 review, Smaller, Cheaper, Still Excellent by Gerald Undone. This is a, actually a review for videographers and for photographers watching. He says it even takes pictures. Wow. Incredible. Aren't we lucky? I will say there was a small gripe in Digital Camera Review about the battery life. And we have done, you know, we did a shoot on Thursday yeah. and we shot and filmed with it all day. And we did a shoot the week before with it. Yeah. And we shot and filmed. The, and I did a shoot with it on Saturday and shot and filmed with it all day. I have not yet had to charge the battery. and That's it's pretty good in my books. Still got about 40% left. So... I, I cannot complain. Yeah. Anyway, speaking of batteries, there was an article from Tom and it's a little complaint about the third-party battery compatibility. He says, third-party batteries are triggering a battery cannot be used message. Conspiracy theorists believe that Nikon makes a change periodically to stop third-party batteries from being used. While Nikon would strongly prefer you to use their batteries, the thing that really tends to trigger the incompatibility problem is that Nikon tweaks and expects a different performance range based upon what the camera's power electronics are expecting. The power changes in the Z8, which has a slightly different amperage usage, are likely triggering the third-party battery issues. Nikon designed the Z8 to tightly work within the known performance parameters of the official ENEL 15 batteries. In particular, I note that the in-camera charging drawer is different on the Z8 than previous cameras. This is important. Nikon wouldn't worry about breaking third-party battery compatibility because there is no battery registration program in place to keep the third-party battery companies in line. Yeah, there are no third-party licensed batteries available for the camera, so yeah. Nikon didn't license anything, but also... It's not particularly intentional. Exactly, exactly. And then if you look at EH8P, which is AC adapter, which is 45 watts draw, mm. power draw, then yes, it all suddenly starts to make sense. Yeah. In my opinion, Looking at the price of the ENL 15C batteries, they're reasonably priced for the cost of the camera. Yeah. So they're not Leica priced. They are not Nikon Z9 ENEL 18 battery priced. Mm -hmm. 
So they are priced, okay, it's about 60, 70 pounds or so. And they are on par with the prices of Canon and Sony batteries as well. Yeah. So they're not that expensive if you look at the price of the camera. And in terms of this, I would suggest you to get a spare one or maybe a couple. I mean, I personally have two spare ones. Yeah. I rarely go to the second one, even with Z6. Yep, just in case of emergencies. And as Becky said, with her experience in Z8, over several days, she's still yet to replace the battery. So there you go. Whew. Okay, well, we've finished with all Z8 news, so hopefully... There's going to be a lot more next week, as usual. But Nikon Support also published some macOS Ventura compatibility update on compatibility of Nikon software with the latest operating system. So if you're using Mac and you're using Nikon software, you can definitely have a link in the comments below to check if the new version of this software is compatible. Now, to find bit, apparently there's a Wetzlar camera auction happening in October 2023, so it's a bit of time, but the rumor is that there's a very rare Nikon Stereo Nico 3.5 centimeter f3.5 stereo outfit, which is, according to them, circa 1957, will be available for sale at that auction. Yes. Now, we spoke to the Oracle, which is grey, and he said that he suspects it will go for upwards of 40,000 euros, but we don't know because it could go for more. Yeah, we also found a very interesting book, which is called The Nikon Complete Rangefinder System by Robert Rotoloni. And he provides a lot more information on this lens compared to any information that's available online right now. That's right. Now, the auction is not actually live yet, nor is there a preview of it on the Wetzlar auction website. But we can tell you that 174 were made, of which 28 thereabouts were destroyed for the taxman. So there are actually only 146 supposedly out there in the world. Yeah, there's uh, four pages of all the information about this lens, so make yourself comfortable. <laughs> Open a bottle of your finest, whatever you drink, and we're going to have a read. Story time. Voiced by Becky Danese. I'm not going to read this. I mean, this podcast is not long enough, so I think we need to put it up with the four pages of information on the rail Nikon lens. Okay, so Mr. Rotoloni said that the first mention of the Stereo Nikon is produced in literature that he can verify from the price list dated 1st of May 1956. It's known that there was one shown at a Japanese show in May 1956. The first price list says Nikon Stereo outfit consists of dual f3.5 Nikkor lenses, stereo prism unit, stereo viewfinder, stereo viewer, Leather case, AC600 stereo outfit complete with leather case price to be announced. Uh, later on, he goes on to say that the prices were in the range of about $274. It would be pretty phenomenal to see it go for upwards of 40000 But considering there's only 146, if that, in the world, I suppose we can't be terribly surprised. That's pretty good investment. You only had to buy it in 1957, hold it for about 70-odd years, mm -hmm. and sell it. Add profit. That's right. And that's a wrap. Thanks for joining us this week. Thank you very much for watching and or listening. Please give us a like and a subscribe if you're on YouTube. If you're listening on a podcast platform, we'd love a rating, a review, perhaps a follow, anything like that. Absolutely. We are available on all good podcast platforms, including Apple Podcast, Amazon Music, YouTube Unlimited, and Spotify. Amazing. We're also on the interweb. You can find us on Instagram. I'm at Rebecca underscore Danese. The shop is at Nick on at Gray's. And I'm at Constant Kochkin. We do publish some photographs taken with the lenses that we review on this channel. So do have a look at those samples there as well. And we are 
on the way to 20,000 subscribers. So if you haven't subscribed yet, definitely click that subscribe button below. Subscribe. <laughs> we will see you next week. Thank Bye -bye. you very much. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. 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 <laughs>